0: new episode in this episode we're gonna check the book how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie check it out okay so this is the first chapter of our new book how to win friends and influence people by dale carnegie and i'm gonna give you some um insight on this book uh, this book is about all about building relationships with good relationships personal and business, success are easy. So eight things this book will help you achieve. Number one, get out of a mental root. Think new thoughts, acquire new visions, discover new ambitions. Number two, make friends quickly and easily. Number three, increase your popularity. Number four, win people to your way of thinking number five increase your influence your prestige your ability to get things done number six handle complaints avoid arguments keep your human contacts smooth and pleasant become a better speaker. number seven become a better speaker and a more entertaining conversationalist number eight arouse enthusiasm among your associates This book has done all these things for more than 15 million readers in 36 languages. Nine suggestions on how to get the most out of this book. We are on page 21. Pay pay attention because this vocabulary is way better than the one of the mastermind, which I know it was a little more complicated, but this one has a broader... um, vocabulary that you guys will understand for sure okay so nine suggestions on how to get the most out of this book number one if you wish to get the most out of this book there is one indispensable requirement one essential infinitely more important than any rule or technique unless you have this one fundamental requisite a thousand rules how to study will avail little and if you do have this cardinal endowment then you can achieve wonders without reading any suggestions for getting the most out of a book what is this what is this magic requirement just this a deep driving desire to learn a vigorous determination to increase your ability to deal with people how can you develop such a such an arch by constantly reminding yourself how important these principles are to you. Picture to yourself how their mastery will aid you in leading a richer, fuller, happier, and more fulfilling life. Say to yourself over and over, my popularity, my happiness, and sense of worth depend non, no small extent upon my skill in dealing with people. Number two, read each chapter rapidly, at first to get a bird's eye view of it. You will probably be tempted then to rush on the next one, but don't, unless you are reading merely for entertainment. But if you are reading because you want to increase your skill in human relations, then go back and reread each chapter thoroughly. In the long run, this will mean saving time and getting results. Number three, stop frequently in your reading to think over what you are reading. Ask yourself just how and when you can apply each suggestion. Number four, read with a crayon, pencil, pen, magic marker or a high letter in your hand. When you come across a suggestion that you feel you can use draw a line beside it beside it if it's a four star suggestion then underscore every sentence or highlight it or mark it with asterisks marking and underscoring a book makes it more interesting and far easier to review rapidly number five i knew a woman who had been office manager for a large insurance concern for 15 years. Every month, she read all the insurance contracts her company had issued that month. Yes, she read many of the same contracts over month after month, year after year. Why? Because experience had taught her that that was the only way she could keep their provisions clearly in mind. I once spent almost two years writing a book on public speaking and yet I found I had to keep going back over it from time to time in order to remember what I had written in my own book. The rapidity with which we forget is astonishing so if you want to get a real lasting benefit out of this book don't imagine that skimming through it once will suffice after reading it thoroughly you ought to spend a few hours reviewing it every month keep it on your desk in front of your every day glance it through it often keep constantly impressing yourself with the rich possibilities of improvement that still lie in the offing. Remember that the use of these principles can be made habitable only by a constant and vigorous campaign of review and applications. There is no other way. Bernard Shaw once remarked, If you teach a man anything, he will never learn. Shaw was right. Learning is an active process, not a passive process. We learn by doing, not by listening. So if you desire to master the principles you are studying in this book, do something about them. Knowing and doing are two different things. You can know everything, but you cannot do shit. Apply these rules at every opportunity. If you, don't, if you don't, you will forget them quickly. Only knowledge that is used sticks in your mind. Attention to this. Only knowledge that is used sticks in your mind. Not otherwise. You will probably find it difficult to apply these suggestions all the time. I know because I wrote a book, and yet frequently I found it difficult to apply everything I advocated. For example, when you are dispe- uh, displeased, it is much easier to criticize and condemn than is to try to understand the other person's view- viewpoint. It is frequently easier to find fault than to find praise. It is more natural to talk about what you want than to talk about what the other person wants, and so on. So, as you read this book, remember that you are not merely trying to acquire information. You are attempting to form new habits. Ah, yes, you are attempting a new way of life. That will require time and persistence and daily application. So, refer to these pages often. Regard this as a working handbook on human relations. And whenever you are confronted with some specific problem, such as handling a child, winning your spouse, to your way of thinking, or satisfying an irritated customer, hesitate about doing the natural thing, the impulsive thing. This is usually wrong. Instead, turn to these pages and review the paragraphs you have underscored. Then, try these new ways and watch them achieve magic for you. So we're gonna jump here. And we're on page now 24, and it says, In order to get the most out of this book, A, develop a a deep-driving desire to master the principles of human relations. B, read each chapter twice before going to the next one. So that means listen it twice. C, as you read, stop frequently to ask yourself how you can apply each suggestion. D, underscore each important idea. E. Review this book each month. F. Apply these principles at every opportunity. Use this volume as a working handbook to help you solve your daily problems. G. Make a lively game out of your learning by offering some friend a dime or a dollar every time he or she catches you violating one of these principles. H. Check up each week on the progress you're making ask yourself what mistakes you have made what improvement what lessons you have learned from the for the future i keep notes in the back of this book showing how and when you have applied these principles so that's about how we're going to start and the first one says if you fundamental techniques in handling people if you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. Okay, we're gonna leave it there. Now, in the next chapter, we're gonna check right, the of course, the first chapter. See you then. I hope everybody's doing super great. We continue with the with the amazing book, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And we're going to get started with the part one, Fundamental Techniques in Handling People. If you want to gather honey, don't kick over the beehive. That's page 25. You can check it out in your own book. This vocabulary is way better than the previous one. It's kind of easier to comprehend. And uh, he always starts with a little story. So let's get started. Page 25. On May 7, 1931, the most sensational manhunt New York City had ever known had come to its climax. After weeks of searching, two gun Crowley, the killer, the gunman who didn't smoke or drink, was a bae trapped in his sweetheart's apartment on West End Avenue. 150 policemen and detectives laid siege to his top floor highway. They chopped holes in the roof They tried to smoke out Crowley, the cop killer, with tear gas. Then they mounted their machine guns on surrounding buildings. And for more than an hour, one of New York's fine residential areas reverberated with the crack of pistol fire and the root of machine guns. Crowley, crouching behind an overstuffed hair, Fired incessantly at the police, 10,000 excited people watched the battle. Nothing like it had ever been seen before on the sidewalks of New York. When Crowley was captured, Police Commissioner E.P. Mulroney declared that the two-gun desperado was one of the most dangerous criminals ever encountered in the history of New York. He will kill, said the commissioner, at the drop of a feather. But how did two-gun Crowley regard himself? We know because while the police were firing into his apartment, he wrote a letter addressed to whom it may concern. And as he wrote, the blood flowing from his wounds left a crimson trail on the paper. In this letter Crowley said, Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one. One that would do nobody any harm. A short time before this Crowley had been having a necking party with his girlfriend on a country road out on Long Island. Suddenly a policeman walked up to the car and said, Let me see your license. Without saying a word, Crowley drew his gun and cut the policeman down with a shower of lead. As the dying officer fell, Crowley leaped out of the car, grabbed the officer's revolver and fired another bullet into the prostate body. And that was the killer who said, Under my coat is a weary heart, but a kind one, one that would know well, would do nobody any harm. Crowley was sentenced to the electric chair. When he arrived at the death house in Sing Sing, did he say, this is what I get for killing people? No, he said, this is what I get for defending myself. The point of the story is this, two-gone Crowley didn't blame himself for anything. Is that an unusual attitude among criminals? If you think so, listen to this. I have spent the best years of my life giving people the lighter big pleasures, helping them have a good time, and all I get is abuse? The existence of a hunted man? That's all Capone speaking. Yes, America's most notorious public enemy, the most sinister gang leader who ever shot up Chicago. Capone! didn't condemn himself. He actually regarded himself as a public benefactor, and an predicated and misunderstood public benefactor. And so did Dutch Schultz before he crumped up under gangster bullets in New York. Dutch Schultz, one of New York's most notorious rats, said in a newspaper interview that he was a public benefactor. And he believed it. I have had some interesting correspondence with Lewis Laws who was Gordon of New York's infamous Sing Sing prison for many years on this subject and he declared that few of the criminals in Sing Sing regard themselves as bad men. They're just as human as you and I. So they rationalize, they explain, they can tell you why they had to crack and save or be quick on, f- on the trigger finger. Most of them attempt by a form of reasoning, fallacious or logical, to justify their antisocial acts even to themselves, consequently stoutly maintaining that they should never have been in prison at all. If all Pony, Tugon Crowley, Dodge Schultz, and the desperate men and women behind prison walls don't blame themselves for anything, what about the people with whom you and I come in contact? John Wanamaker, founder of the stores that bear his name, once confused I learned 30 years ago that if it's foolish to scold, I have enough trouble overcoming my own limitations without fretting over the fact that God has not seen fit to distribute evenly the gift of intelligence. Wanamaker learned this lesson early, but I personally had to blunder through this old world for a third of a century before it even began to dawn upon me that 99 times out of 100 people don't criticize themselves for anything no matter how wrong it may be i'm going to repeat this again people don't criticize themselves for anything no matter how wrong it may be it doesn't matter if you're a murderer an assassin if you're a bad person you're always going to think that you are doing correct Criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes them strive to justify themselves. Criticism is dangerous because it wounds a person's precious pride, hurts their sense of importance, and arouses resentment. B.F. Skinner, the world-famous psychologist, proved through his experiment that an animal rewarded for good behavior would learn much more rapidly and retain what it learns far more effectively than an animal punished for bad behavior. Later studies have shown that the same applies to humans. By criticizing, we do not make lasting changes and often incur resentment. Hans Sely, another great psychologist, said, As much as we thirst for approval, we dread condemnation. The resentment that criticism engenders can demoralize employees, family members, and friends, and still not correct the situation that has been condemned. George B. Johnston of Enid, Oklahoma, is the safety coordinator for an engineering company. One of his responsibilities is to see that employees wear their hard hats whenever they are on the job in the field. He reported that whenever he came across workers who were not wearing hard hats, he would tell them with a lot of authority of the regulation and they must comply. As a result, he would get solemn acceptance and often after he left, the workers would remove the hats. Have you ever encountered that, that? When you have a boss, and he's telling you something like authoritative, that let's say for example when you used to go to school, the director, the principal used to tell you, "Hey, you uh, put your shirt inside of your pants," like in an authoritative way. You you put you do it, and then when he's not watching you you put it away back you put it out again so that's exactly what is he explaining so this guy decided to uh try a different approach the next time he found some some of the workers not wearing their hard hat he asked if the hats were uncomfortable or did not fit properly then he reminded the man in a pleasant tone of voice that the hat was designed to protect them from injury and suggested that it always be worn on the job. The result was increased compliance with the regulation with no resentment or emotional upset. Imagine your boss telling you, right? You should wear your shirt inside. If you don't put it inside, I'm I'm going to fire you. Instead, your boss tells you, Hey, do you feel uncomfortable with your t-shirt inside? If that's so, can we? is there any way can we change the uniforms? Would you like a shorter t-shirt so you can wear it outside and you feel comfortable with it? Way different, right? People don't do that. You will find examples of the futility of criticism bristling on a thousand pages of history. Take, for example, the famous quarrel between Theodore Roosevelt and President Taft, a quarrel that split the Republican Party put Woodrow Wilson in the White House and wrote bold, luminous lines across the First World War, and altered the flow of history. Let's review the facts quickly. When Theodore Roosevelt stepped out of the White House in 1908, he supported Taft, who was elected president. Then, Theodore Roosevelt went off to Africa to shoot lions. When Rig returned, he exploded, he denounced Taft for his conservatism, tried to secure the nomination for a third term himself, formed the Bull Moose Party, and all but demolished the GOP in the election that followed. William Howard Taft and the Republican Party carried only two states, Vermont and Utah, the most Taft deft- defeat the party had ever known. Theodore Roosevelt blamed Taft, But did President Taft blame himself? Of course not. With tears in his eyes, Taft said, I don't see how I could have done any differently from what I have. Who was to blame? Roosevelt or Taft? Frankly, I don't know. I don't care. The point I'm trying to make is that all of Theodore Roosevelt's criticism didn't persuade Taft that he was wrong. It merely made Taft strive to justify himself and to reiterate with tears in his eyes. I don't see how I could have done any differently from what I have. Or take the teapot dome oil scandal. It kept the newspapers ringing with indignation in the early 1920s. It rocked the nation. Within the memory of living men, nothing like it had, had ever happened before in American public life. Here and the bare facts on the scandal. We're going to continue with this scandal on the next chapter, guys. So the, the point we're making here is that have you ever criticized somebody for not doing what, you're, what they're supposed to do? You know what? Stop doing that. I do that almost at least once a day. I criticize somebody I care a lot, and that's not good. I think that if you cannot do anything for that person, if you truly see that person is not, Doing correct, just observe, observe the person and see what happens. Sooner or later, that person will realize their own destiny. And if you could do something, trying to start with questions, ask them why they feel like that and see if there's anything you can do to help. We're on page 28, and we continue with the scandals on the next chapter, kids. Thank you very much, and you have a great night okay everybody hi i hope you guys doing great um the last lesson we talk about criticism the way how we sometimes criticize people um the way how we think people should do things that we think they are correct they do right and they have to do it because we think that's the correct way of them doing it but it's not about making people do right what you think that is correct it's about convincing people through your way of thinking that that is the best way of doing it right so that's what the principle number one is talking about don't criticize condemn or complain about something happening right have you ever had somebody like it could be your father your mother your your it could be even your daughter your son it could be um, your relation. It could be your girlfriend, your boyfriend, right? And that is doing something, right? That you feel it's not good for them, or, and but still they keep doing it. So that's uh, that's not on your on your. Um, it's not on you to decide as I'm trying to say it's not on you to decide whether that person keeps doing it or not and sometimes we just criticize like we, we, we tell them like you should stop doing that because it's causing you this uh, you know what doing that is gonna kill you right drinking a lot of alcohol is bad for your health but we never stop to ask that person why is he or she the doing that and when we do ask, sometimes we find uh, an answer. Sometimes the answer is, it's not on your importance. Or it's not on your business. Or who are you to ask me those kind of questions? And if that's the answer they have, well, the best point of, uh, the best standpoint that you could have is just to step back and observe the way how they behave. And their actions will have reactions and then you will Tell to yourself, well, I was wise enough to advise this person not doing this, and he kept doing it. And that's the way how you keep friends. Because you never criticize the person, you never push the person, and still, if they fall, it's not on your it's not on your business because they did it because they wanted to do it. And then probably they're gonna approach to you and they're gonna ask you for advice, and then you will have to be available to give them advice because that's what you want. Now, if you want them to fail, to fall, to be mistaken, and then when they come, come back, they ask you for advice and you're like oh, greedy, like, no, I'm not. I I told you you should have done this and you didn't do it when I told you, so and right now I'm not going to do it anymore to you. Okay, so that means... That means that you, at the very beginning, the advice that you were giving was not to help that person. It was just because you wanted that person to do what you wanted. And that's different. It's different when you love somebody. Because loving, it's caring. Caring is doing what you think is correct for that person, whether that person listens to you or not right so uh, don't judge man until the end then never judge man never judge okay yes so that's what i have to say um we're going to page 37 and now we're talking about the big secret of dealing with people there's only one way under high heaven to get anybody to do anything Did you ever stop to think of that yes just one way and that is by making the other person want to do it. If the person don't, doesn't want to do it, it's impossible that you make it do it. Remember, there's no other way. Of course, you can make someone want to give you their watch by sticking a revolver in the ribs or in the head. You can make your employees give you cooperation until your back is turned by threatening to fire them. You can make a child do what you want it to do by a whip or a threat. But these crude methods have sharply undesirable repercussions. The only way I can get you to do anything is by giving you what you want. So what do you want? Sigmund Freud said that everything you and I do springs from two motives, the sex urge and the desire to be great. John Dewey, one of the American's most profound philosophers, phrased it a bit differently. Dr. Dewey said that the deepest urge in human nature is the desire to be important. Remember that phrase, the desire to be important. It is significant. You're going to hear a lot about it in this book. That doesn't mean that you want to be important. If you don't want to be important, that's fine. But you need to know that 90% of the people outside in society, they are asleep. They are under are hypnotized by the media, by the news, by television, by series, by everything. Everything around them have them hypnotized. So, it's like dealing with a kind of robot. You know what to do so you can have them do what you want to do, right? Just, it's easy as that. People are easy to manipulate. If you want to see it like that, you are a manipulator at some point. You're not manipulate, you can manipulate to to have them do something incorrect or you can manipulate them to do something that can change their life for good. What do you want? Not many things, but the few that you wish, you crave with an insistence that will not be denied. Some of the things most people want include, this is important, this is the list of everybody wants. Number one, health and preservation of life. Number two, food. Number three, sleep. Number four, money and the things money will buy. Number five, life in the hereafter. Number six, sexual gratification. Number seven, the well-being of our children. Number eight, a feeling of importance. If you're able to fulfill any of these, health, food, sleep, money, life here and after, sexual gratification, the well-being of, your, of our children, and the feel of importance, any of this, you're able to make a person do what you want them to do. Almost all these wants are usually gratified, all except one. But there is one longing, almost as deep, almost as imperious as the desire for food or sleep, which is seldom gratified. It is what Freud calls the desire to be great. It is what Dewey calls the desire to be important. Lincoln once began a letter saying, Everybody likes a compliment. William James said, The deepest principle in human nature is the craving to be appreciated. He didn't speak mind you of the wish or the desire or the longing to be appreciated. He said the craving to be appreciated. Here is a warning, an unfaltering human hunger, and the rare individual who honestly satisfies this heart hunger will hold people in the palm of his or her hand, and even the undertaker will be sorry when he dies. The desire for a feeling of importance is one of the chief distinguishing differences between mankind and the animals. To illustrate... When I was a farm boy out of Missouri, my father bred fine dirt jersey hogs and pedigreed white-faced cattle. We used to exhibit our hogs and white-faced cattle at the county fairs and lively stock shows throughout the Middle West. We won first prizes by the score. My father pinned his blue r- uh, ribbons on a sheet of white muslin. And when friends or visitors came to the house, he would get out the long sheets of muslin. He would hold one end and I would hold the other while he exhibited the blue ribbons. The hogs didn't care about the ribbons. Do you understand that? The cows didn't care about shit. The cows don't care about prices. It's humans who care about reward. The prices gave him a feeling of importance. If our ancestors hadn't had this flaming urge for a feeling of importance, civilization would have been impossible. Without it, we should have been just about like animals. It was this desire for a feeling of importance that led an uneducated, poverty stricken grocery clerk to study some law, books, he found in the bottom of a barrel of a household plunder that he had bought for 50 cents. You have probably heard of the, this grosser clerk. his name is, was Lincoln. Just you know, right? It was this desire for a feeling of importance that this inspired Dickens to write his immortal novels. This desire inspired Sir Christopher Zwen to design his sym- symphonies in stone. This desire made Rockefeller amass millions that he never spent. And this same desire made the richest family in your town build a house far too large for its requirements. This desire makes you want to wear the latest styles, drive the latest cars, and talk about your brilliant children. It is this desire that lures many boys and girls into joining gangs and engaging in criminal activities. The average young criminal, according to E.P. Mulroney, one-time police commissioner of New York, is filled with ego and his first request after arrest is for those lurid newspapers that make him out of a hero. The disagreeable prospect of serving time seems remote so long as he can gloat over his likeness, sharing space with pictures of sports figures, movie and TV stars and politicians. If you tell me how you get your feeling of importance, I'll tell you what you are. That determines your character. That is the most significant thing about you. For example, John D. Rockefeller got his feelings of importance by giving money to erect a modern hospital in Peking, China, to care for millions of poor people whom he had never seen and never would see. So, why do you want to feel important? That's a real question. Why do you want importance? Why do you want a place in society? Why do you want to feel like you are something outside what you are? It's just about the ego. It's just about making somebody feel important. The point here is to make somebody feel important, right? Imagine you are a fitness coach. If you're a fitness coach, you're making somebody feel important because he is following you, right? Because that person, right, you are fulfilling the desire of that person. Fulfill desires and you will make people follow you fulfill desires don't criticize the desires of people don't tell people you're stupid because you want a lot of money probably he is stupid but you if you want that person to be your friend to be somebody close to you sometimes right if you want that you have to fight for that you have to do the work no it's just because i'm not that kind of person no it's just because I want this person on my friend, but I'm not willing to fake, right? And I'm not going to tell them something that I don't, I don't like for him. So, don't think about making friends with him. Or don't think about having a relationship with that person. It's as easy as that. Change your way of thinking. Change what you want. Change your purpose. If your purpose is sharing time with, let's say, for example, you want to become a politician you want you have to share time with politicians but politicians the majority politicians are rats they they uh, steal they lie they fake but you say no just because you are going to be with politician but you're not going to fake you want to be a politician but you don't you're not gonna lie okay nice Right? But you gotta you're going to be an alone politician at some point. Little by little you're going to gather more people, but it's gonna take time. Now, you want to be a politician like them, you have to act like them, you have to do what they do, you have to support their ideas, you have to tell them, oh man, right, you're lying? Good man, you can say this is a better line than the last one before. Right? People some sometimes be, be uh sometimes became imbalanced in order to win sympathy and attention and get a feeling of importance. What is the cause of this insanity? Nobody can answer such a sweeping question, but we know that certain diseases such as syphilis break down and destroy the brain cells and result in insanity. In fact, about one and a half old mental diseases can be attributed to such physical causes as brain lesions Alcohol, toxins, and injuries. Sometimes you go out with people that you don't like just because you want to feel important at some point. You drink, you get drunk, right? They see you. Oh, man, yeah, you're drinking a lot. Man, yeah, you have a lot of aguante, man. That's nice, okay? Good. You're a good person. You're nice. In that moment, you're important. What is the cost of that? What is the cost of being important? Your values. Okay? You see? So winning friends means probably you losing your own identity. What kind of friends do you want? That's the first thing that you have to look for. What kind of people do you want to surround with? And there's nobody, there's nobody around you that you can surround with, so be alone until you become a person and then somebody could be around you. Because if you become a good person, if you become a person of values, of right things, then the right people will come to you and the wrong people will be away from you. It's as easy as that. Okay. This was how to be influenced and influence people, right? And that was the second part of it. Right? As easy as that. You see? Right? We're talking about here. Um the name of this was The Big Secret of Dealing with People. Yes, fulfill desires. Okay, guys, so as so we were talking before, the principles of how to interact with people and how to make them do the things that you want them to do, talking about in a good way, non manipulated way, okay so um, let's say for example, we have to cover some basic needs of people, right? What are these basic needs okay let's let's take a look again on each of them, right. We were talking about that some of these needs could be health, Uh, it could be also food. If you give them food, they're happy, okay, right? Um, You take care of their livelihood, you take care of their health, right? You take care of their sleep, the money, the sexual gratification, the well-being of our children, a feeling of importance, right a film of importance right well-being of the children because you're taking care of the well-being of their future generations you're not taking care of them probably they're old and they don't want to know anything about life anymore right always give honest and sincere appreciation right principle number two honest and sincere appreciation it's not like i appreciate you pat on the back right i hate you when they leave no it's sincere appreciation Everyone has something they can offer you. Every man, right, yes, It's superior to you in some way. And it's also, right, inferior to you in some way. Everybody is in the middle, right, yes? Everybody's in the middle. That's important. So we go with the next uh, tip. He who can do this has the whole... This is page 48, by the way. He who cannot walks a lonely way. Um, So let's read a little story, right? Yes. Um, Remember, right, uh, um, he always speaks in parables and stories. So let's, um, for example, let's go on this, all right? It says, the only way on earth to influence other people is to talk about what they want and show them how to get it. Got it? The the only way to influence other people is talk about what they want and show them how to get it. Remember that tomorrow when you're trying to get somebody to do something, if, for example, you don't want your children to smoke, don't preach at them and don't talk about what you want. But show them that cigarettes may keep them from making the basketball team or winning the 100-yard dash. If you want somebody to stop doing something bad, show them how that is going to affect them, not you, right? It probably affects you because you're, you, you, lie, you love or you like that person. But it's not about you, it's about them. And this is a good thing to remember regardless of whether you are dealing with children or calves or chimpanzees. For example, one day Ralph Waldo Emerson and his son tried to get a calf into the barn. But they made the common mistake of thinking only what they wanted. Emerson pushed and his son pulled. But the calf, a calf is another way of saying cow, was doing just what they were doing. He was thinking only of what he wanted. So he he literally put his legs and ref, on the ground and refused to leave the pasture. Right? Uh, some people saw the predicament that they were going through, and uh, she couldn't write essays and books, but on this occasion at least she had more horse sense on or calf sense than Emerson had. She thought of what the calf wanted the the cow wanted to eat grass, and they wanted to move the cow into the barn so what they what would have you done in that situation? Every act that you ever performed since the day you were born was performed because you wanted something. How about the time you gave a large contribution to, I don't know, to an organization, a donation, right? It's not exception to that rule, it's because you wanted to see them doing great. You gave money to a donation because you wanted to lend a helping hand. You wanted to do a beautiful, unselfish, divine act. In as as you have done it onto one of the least of these, um, you have done it unto me. If you hadn't wanted that feeling more than you wanted your money, you would not have made the contribution. Sometimes a good act is something that you want to do more than you want your money. Of course, you might have made the contribution because you were ashamed to refuse or because uh, somebody asked you to do it. Like, you are walking with your sister, with your brother, with your mom and dad, and there's a beggar, and they're asking you for money, and somebody's pushing you. They give them a one keta, or you give it to them. But that's different, right? Yes? So, it's not about doing what you want Doing what the other people want is about doing what people want, people want to do, okay, just, yes. um, you gotta pursue them naturally, alright, so they do things in the way that they see what are the benefits of doing so, right, yes, the advantages of doing so show people the advantages of doing so show yourself the advantages of doing so and also show yourself the disadvantage of stop doing something and that is a great way to create a habit listen to this when you want to create a habit you have to see the good and the bad and you have to have positive motivation and negative motivation because there's negative motivation and that's good too let's say for example you want to stop drinking what is the negative motivation? Well, I'm going to get um how's it called when you drink too much? And then your your liver grows. Right? Um your liver grows. Your liver grows because you drink a lot of alcohol. Right, yes? I don't know what's the name of that. It's not a hepatitis, it's something that your liver grows. Liver grows a lot because you drink a lot of alcohol. Right, yes, right? I don't remember the name of that, but you get that. It's a sickness, right? Yes, it's a sickness you get, right? So that's negative motivation, right? Yes, because you say, well, I'm not going to drink because I'm probably going to get that in the future. Yes, positive motivation. Well, if I drink, I'm not going to have, again, I'm not going to have that's negative motivation. I'm not going to have energy tomorrow. But positive motivation, if I don't drink, I'm going to feel good. I'm going to have more energy. That's positive. I'm, I'm going to be healthier. That's positive. Talk to yourself in positive ways so you remember more things. Okay, just do what you want. Do what your body wants. Your body wants you to be good. If you exercise, what is the positive outcomes? The positive outcome, I'm going to have a healthier life. I'm going to, pay attention, I'm speaking in positive. I am going to, right, have energy. I am going to live a healthier life. I am going to be happier. What is negative motivation? I am not going to be lazy. I am not going to be sick. I am not going to, right, have uh, circulation problems. I am not, it is negative motivation, you see? When you want to change your habit, you have to see the negative motivation, positive motivation. So, there are always two kinds of motivation. When you don't feel like doing it, you keep doing it. Here is one of the best bits of advice ever given about the fine art of human relationship. If there is any one secret of success, said Henry Ford, it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and see things from that person's angle as well as as from your own i'm going to repeat this again if there is a secret of success of dealing with people it lies in the ability to get the other person's point of view and see things from that person's angle and as well as from your own. The other person is saying it's not because you, I love drinking, man. I really love drinking. I love watching TV, man. I love procrastinating. So you have, if you want the other, if you want to make the other person change habits, or you're trying to convince your wife, your husband, your, your, the person that you love, your mom, your dad, to do the right thing, you have to see. Through their eyes, why they love to procrastinate, why they love to eat a lot of pizza, why they love, why think like them. And they say, ah, it's because they, they love to do that because it makes them feel good. What if I show them, no, show them, don't criticize. Remember the first person. don't criticize. Show them the benefits. Do it like preach with example show them that if they eat the, uh, imagine you have a brother and they eat 10 doritos every day and you also eat doritos what if you stop doing what they always see you doing so they see you doing something else and see if they change it in that way now 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 i'm just gonna say this you cannot make a pig fly pigs can fly and you cannot throw your jewels to pigs, this is the bible don't throw your jewels to pigs because they are going to stamp on it, eat them look at you and bite you don't try to explain the flies, you are a bee don't try to explain flies that honey is better than shit. Because there's people who are not going to understand. There's people who are not going to change. Regardless of what you do. That's the people that you need to stay away from it. Because that people is just toxic people in your life. That's whether it's just your mom. Whether it's like your dad. Your sister. Your brother. Your wife. Your husband. your Even your kids. Right? But your kids are different. Because you are making them. So if you have somebody who you have tried many times to do whatever you preach with example and they keep doing the same shit. stay away man they're they're just they're just dragging you dragging you down okay that's important okay so uh so as i was saying right just look at the other person's point of view that is so good Right. I'm going to read it one more time. If there is any one secret of success, it lies the ability to get the other person's point of view and see things from that person's angle as well as from your own. That is so simple, so obvious that anyone ought to see the truth of it at a glance. Yet 90% of people of this earth ignore it 90% of the time. An example. Look at the letters that come across your desk tomorrow morning. Look at the things that come to you tomorrow morning. Look at the messages that come to you on the WhatsApp tomorrow, and you will find that most of them violate this important canon of common sense. Take this one. Just okay? yes. um, This is an example, right? A letter ra- written by the head of a radio department of an advertisement agency with offices scattered across the continent this letter was sent to the manager of the local registration throughout the country, okay? This is a a letter sent to a manager, okay? It says right Mr. Blank the the company desires to retain its position in the advertisement agency leadership in the radio field pay attention how they are saying what they want the company desires okay, just It's saying i worry about my own problems the bank is foreclosing the mortgage on my house the box are destroying the holy cox the stock market tumbled yesterday i missed eight fifteen things uh, this morning i wasn't invited to joe's dance last night you see everybody this is complaining okay this agency nation advertising accounts were the board of the network okay right i'm not want to confuse it with all this <laughs> Confusing vocabulary, but what they say is what they desire, right? It's like when you, let's say, Alexa, for example, you break up with your relationship and you text the girl or you text the boy, I want you to come back. Okay, so that you're talking about you, what you want. Do you know what the other person wants? No, it's es okay, que I don't want you to be rude with me. Yeah, I don't care about what you want. Show them the benefit. Show them the counterpart. No, is that my parents don't understand me. I told them, don't yell to me because I feel bad. Instead of asking me, how do you feel when you yell to me? How do you feel when you do that to me? Do you feel good? Are you feeling good? And this is not easy, I'm telling you. I'm not, a, I'm not the expert in doing this. I criticize a lot. I try to make change, are you, are you trying to make change, that's what we're trying to do here, that's what this is all about, this is all about not talking about your desires, it's talking about other people's desires, and then you're going to find how to have good relationships, that's what this is about, okay, what was the secret, the secret was people's point of view, look at people's, other people's point of on, on view, okay, just And principle number three, right, arouse in the other persons an eager want, right? Make the other persons believe that you care, but you truly care. Don't criticize, principle number one. Principle number two, give honest and sincere appreciation. Principle number three, arouse in the other persons an eager want. Make them want to do what you want, okay? Good job, all right? We'll see you in another chapter. Good job nice okay guys on so the next chapter we're gonna discuss about again right the way how to treat people influence others we saw last time about the people's point of view we also discuss about um, how to make people agree with your with your personal opinion and i think it's all about the way how you treat others that will treat you back on the part two you, got, you have here the ways to make people like you that's what it says here and the first part is it says do this and you will be welcome anywhere why read this book to find out how to win friends why not study the technique of the greatest winners of, or of friends the world has ever known who is he You may meet him tomorrow coming down the street. When you get within 10 feet of him, he will begin to wag his tail. If you stop and pat him, he will almost jump out of his skin to show you how how much he likes you. And you know that behind this show of affection on his part, there are no ulterior motives. He doesn't want to sell you any real estate. He doesn't want to marry you. He doesn't want something in behalf of you. This is important because it's not about making the other persons do what you want to manipulate them. It's, it's like making f- sincere friends with somebody else. So do you ever stop to think that a dog is the only animal that doesn't have to work for a living? And hen has to lay eggs and cow has to give milk, and a canary has to sing. But a dog makes his living by giving you nothing but love. When I was five years old, my father bought a little yellow hair puppy for f- uh, 50 cents. He was the light and joy of my childhood. Every afternoon about 4.30, he would sit in, my, in the front yard with his beautiful eyes staring steadfastly as the path as as soon as he heard my voice or saw me uh, swinging my dinner pail through the buck brush he was off like a shot racing breathlessly up the hill to greet me with leaps of joy and barks of sheer ecstasy you never read a a book on psychology you didn't need to you knew by some divine instinct that you came that you can make more friends in two months by becoming genuinely interested in other people that you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you it 's different you gotta become interested in other people rather than making them interested in you. Let me repeat that you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Yet, I know and you know people who blunder through life trying to wigwag other people into becoming interested in them. Of course, it doesn't work. People are not interested in you. They are not interested in me, they are interested in themselves morning, noon, and after dinner. When you see a group of photographs that you are in, whose picture do you look for first? If we merely try to impress people and get people interested in us, we will never have many true, sincere friends. Friends, real friends, are not made that way. Have you ever had any friend who approaches to you and tells you hey man how you doing man how are you how's life how are you doing man how is everything going not about to invite you to go to somewhere now I'm not not talking about invitation here I'm not talking about a friend who looks for you because of a reward I'm not talking about that friend that looks for you because he wants a favor that's not a friend that is a person that is more interested in them than interested in you and that even applies for family members. Do you live with a brother, with a sister? Do you have even your mom and your dad? I'm being honest here, dead honest. If they text you, if they call you just to ask you for something or just because they want something, that people are not interested in you whatsoever. They're not interested in them. And it's cool. Everybody has their own things in life. Everybody has their own things that they worry everybody has their own situation they worry and that's fine but i gotta understand that is not true sincere appreciation uh okay here we have another story here okay full stories this is full stories right Yes, i'm trying to summarize what they what they say here right yes Imagine you want to make friends, right? If you want to make friends, let's greet people with animation and enthusiasm. When somebody calls you on the telephone, use the same psychology. Say hello in tones that the, the big speak, how uh, pleased you are to have that person call you. It's not like hello. No, it's like hello, hi. Nice to hear you. Hey, eh? how you doing? But how you doing? Like sincere, how you doing? Not like, how are you, you Or you don't care about it. Showing a gen- genuine interest in others not only wins friends for you, but may develop in, this, in its uh, a loyalty to them, a big loyalty, right? Because they know that they want to talk to you. These people feel good talking to you. Imagine that you are the other person on the other side of the phone when they call you, become interested in these people. If you want others to like you, if you want to develop real friendship, if you want to help others at the same time as you help yourself, keep this principle in mind. Become genuinely interested in other people. If you do things just because you have to do it, don't do them. Like, it's better to stay in your bed all day. It's better not to do it because you're not doing correctly. Someday, that will have you will have your payback. That means someday, somebody is going to come and is going to do the job better than you do, and is going to take you out of that place just because you do the things, just because you have to do them, not because you genuinely want to do it. Sincerity speaks through the eyes. Sincerity speaks through your voice sincerity speaks to your body have you ever gone to a place like it could be the china with the china store right yes con a chino right have you ever seen the chino like truly like he doesn't want to give you what you want like hey give me a coke and he's like uh-huh do you feel good when that happens you probably don't probably you don't give a fuck either but what about if he comes and starts saying, hey, cool, yeah, no problem, man. Hey, have a great day. Sincerely have a great day. I promise you, change your day. No, no, I'm not a person. Nah, uh, that thing doesn't change me. It's a fact. Don't be a liar. Everybody in this world, everyone likes appreciation. It's a fact. Whether that comes from your grandma whether it comes from your mom, whether it comes from your husband, whether it comes from, everybody loves appreciation. Sincere appreciation. No hyperkid appreciation Even kids, appreci- kids' appreciation is the best appreciation you can have. And if you appreciate the moment you have with somebody else, that person is going to feel it. That person is going to say, wow, this guy right now appreciates the moment with me. This person appreciates being with me, right? You wanna build better relationships with the people you have around, with people you leave, people in your house, people, uh, your wife, your your kids. Sincere appreciation. They bring you a cup of water, appreciate it. Sometimes you're gonna be, you're gonna act bad. I'm telling you, this is this is easy to say that to do it, because sometimes you're not gonna be in the mood. And sometimes you're going to reply in a, in a way that is not correct. You're going to say, oh, wait, wait, wait. you're going to reply back in an incorrect way. But that doesn't mean that you don't appreciate them. If you truly appreciate them, I apologize. But sincere apologize. An apology is not about, I'm sorry. It's sincere. Look at the person's eyes and tell them, you know what? I made a mistake, I don't know what's going on with me, I try not to make this happen again, please, right, just understand that I'm trying to build myself, and I'm trying to get better for the relationship I have with you, it could be with your mom, it could be with your daddy, it could be with your husband, it could be with whatever you have, but if you just go and say sorry, and you, do, and you make the mistake again, five minutes later, you're, you're truly sorry, what you're looking for is just somebody to pat you on the back to tell, yeah, 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 of course. All right? Become genuinely interested in other people. How do you do that? By seeing other people's point of view, by not criticizing, by breathing. <sighs> breathing exercises are good. Alright, yes, they help you understand the whole situation going on. Okay? If you feel that the other person is harming you in some way, step away five minutes and then come back and talk to that person. Don't overreact. That's my recommendation. What do you What do you think about it? Have you ever react on somebody that you know that you shouldn't should have not reacted? Let me know. Okay, guys. On the last chapter, we review on how to, and it says the title said do this and you will be welcome anywhere ways to make people like you what was the what was the principle appreciation sincere appreciation right show them show people that you care about them interest in others genuinely interest in other people you're asking somebody how they are because you really want to know how they are not just because you are asking questions If you want others to like you, if you want to develop real friendship, if you want to help others at the same time as you help yourself, keep this principle in mind, okay? The second thing that we got to talk today is a simple way to make a good first impression. A simple way to make a good first impression. Okay? We're going to read here um, a little story first. It says, At a dinner party in New York, one of the guests... A woman who had inherited money was eager to make a pleasing impression on everybody. She had um, a modest fortune on sables, diamonds, and pearls. But she hadn't done anything, whatever, about her face. It radiated soreness and selfishness. She looked like angry. The kind of people that you look at them and then say, I don't want to look at them. They look like they have they're going through some issues and that's okay but she didn't realize what everybody everyone knows namely that the expression one wears on one's face is far more important than the clothes one wears on one's back again the expression one wears on the face is far more important than the clothes one wears on one's back Charles Schwab told me his smile had been worth a million dollars and he was probably understanding the truth. For Schwab's personality, his charm, his ability to make people like him were almost wholly responsible for his extraordinary success. And one of the most delightful factors in his personality was his captivating smile. Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words, and a smile says, I like you, you make me happy, I'm glad to see you. That is why dogs make you such a hit, they're always smiling, right? They are so glad to see us that they almost jump out of their skins, so naturally we're glad to see them. A baby's smile has the same effect. Have you ever been in a doctor's waiting room and look around and all the glum faces waiting impatiently to be seen? Dr. Stephen K. Sprout, a veterinarian in Greytown, Missouri, told of a typical spring day when his waiting room was full of clients waiting to have their pets inoculated. No one was talking to anyone else, and all were probably thinking of a dozen other things they would rather be doing than wasting time sitting in that office. He told one of our classes, there were six or seven clients waiting when a young woman came in with a nine-month-old baby and a kitten. As luck would have it, she sat down next to a gentleman who was more than a little angry about the long wait for service. The next thing he knew, the baby just looked up at him with a great big smile that is so characteristic of babies. What do you think the gentleman did? Well, just what you and I would do. Of course, he smiled back at the baby. Soon he struck up a conversation with the woman about her baby and his grandchildren. As soon as the entire reception room joined it. At the boardroom, attention when converted into a pleasant and enjoyable experience. What about in, an insincere grin? No, that doesn't fool anybody. I'm telling you, like, <laughs> that, is, that, that doesn't fool anybody. They know that you're being sarcastic. We know it's mechanical, and we resent it. I'm talking about real smile. A heartwarming smile. A smile that comes from within. The kind of smile that, br- that will bring a good price in the marketplace. Something good for people to see. The effect of a smile is powerful. Even when it's unseen. Even when now that everybody wears masks. You can see when somebody's smiling through their eyes. People know when somebody is smiling through the phone. What if I tell you. Hello, how are you doing? Hello, how you doing? Right? Which of these two I smiled? I repeat. "Hello, how you doing? Hello, how are you doing? Number one or number two. If you said number one, nah, it's incorrect. said number two? Yeah, I was smiling right there. You see, Your voice also projects through the phone. It projects to others. Okay, I have asked thousands of business people to smile at some, someone every hour of the day for a week and then come to class and talk about the results. How did it work? Let's see. Here is a letter from William B. Stayhard, a New York stockbroker. His case isn't isolated. In fact, it's typical of 100 cases. The letter says like this. I have been married for over 18 years. And in all that time, I seldom smiled at my wife or spoke two dozen words to her from the time I got up until I was ready to leave for business. I was one of the worst grouches who ever walked down Broadway. When you asked me to make a talk about my experience with smiles, I thought I would try it for a week. So the next morning, while combi- combing my hair, I looked at my glom mug in the mirror and I said to myself, Bill, you are going to wipe the skull off that soared puss of yours today. You are going to smile and you are going to begin right now. As I sat down to breakfast, I greeted my wife with a good morning, my dear, and a smile as I said it. You warned me that she might be surprised. Well, you underestimated her reaction. She was bewildered. She was shocked. I told her that in the future she could expect this regular occurrence, and I kept it up every morning. Man, this changed attitude of mine brought more happiness into our home in the two months since I started than there was during the last year. As I leave uh, for my office, I greet the elevator operator in the apartment house with a good morning and a smile. I greet the doorman with a smile, I smile on my cashier in the subway, and I stand on the floor on the stock exchange. I smile at people who until recently never saw me smile. I share my office with another broker. One of his clerks is a likable young chap. And I was so elated about the results I was getting that I told him recently about my new philosophy of human relations. He then confessed that when I first came to share my office with his firm, he taught me a terrible grudge. And I only recently changed his mind. He said I was really human when I smiled. I have also eliminated criticism from my system. I give appreciation and praise now instead of condemnation. I have a stopped talking about what I want. I'm now trying to see the other person's viewpoint. When you listen to all this, you don't feel like smiling? Then what? Two things. First, force yourself to smile. Force it. I cannot smile. Do it. Force it. If you're alone, force yourself to whistle or hum a tune or sing. Act if... Act, Act as if you were already happy. And that will tend to make you happy. Here's the way to psychologists and philosophers, William James, put it. Action seems to follow feeling. But really, action and feeling go together. And by regulating the action, which is under the more direct control of the will, we can indirectly regulate the feeling, which is not. Sometimes you don't feel like doing something. But when you, when you genuinely, <laughs> that's, that's my mom, <laughs> that's my mom, All right, Jess? When you genuinely smile at people, when you genuinely, genuinely, right, just say somebody, give them appreciation, then they tend to see you with new eyes. They tend to see you with eyes of comfort. I'm going to text you in the next chapter. My family is coming now. So we'll go with a smile, part two, and you see, I love my family. They make a lot of noise, like me. And here we go. So as so we were talking before, right? The sincere smile. Everybody in the world is seeking happiness, and there's one sure way to find it. That is by controlling your thoughts. Control your thoughts, you find happiness. Happiness is not the result of something. Happiness is something that you feel and something that you live through the day, every day. Okay, happiness doesn't depend on an outward condition. Happiness doesn't depend on the car that you have, the cell phone that you have. No. If it, happiness depends on what you have, then when somebody takes that out of you, you're going to be sad. So your, does your happiness, this is a question for you, does your happiness depend upon external or internal? Big question right there, okay? It depends on your inner conditions, right? It wasn't, it isn't what you have or who you are or where you are or what you are doing that makes you happy or unhappy. It is what you think about it. It is not what happens to you that makes you sad or happy. It's what you think about what is happening. Because let's say, for example, your parents die, I'm not saying that your parents, I'm not saying that your parents are going to die, I'm saying an example. Would you be happy or sad? Depends on what you you think about that. And it's not about death that is bad. It depends on what you think death signifies for you. And that is what matters. Okay. For example, two people may be in the same place doing the same thing, both maybe have an about an equal amount of money and prestige. And yet, one may be miserable and the other happy. Why? Because of a different mental attitude. I've seen just as many happy faces among the poor peasants toiling with their primitive tools in the devastating heat of the tropics and I've seen in the air-conditioned offices in New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. There is nothing either good or bad, said Shakespeare, but think it, make it so. Okay. Let's say let's take a closer look to this. The ancient Chinese were a, a wise lot, wise in the ways of the world, and they had a proverb that you and and I ought to cut out and paste it inside your hats. On your hats on your wall you can put this phrase it goes like this a man without a smile face must not open a shop a man without a smile face smile face must not open a shop or a business you want to start a business you want to start doing something smile force yourself to do it because if you don't start doing it on your early ages when you become older you're gonna be more grumpy and then you're gonna look bad because you're gonna have a wrinkle on your face and then people are gonna say "Oh, this on this old grumpy person old and grumpy." right you know what i'm saying a smile makes it look younger healthier and you feel happier um, and, and result of that, right? Your smile is a messenger of your goodwill. Your smile brightens the leaves of all who sees it. To someone who has seen a dozen people frown or turn their faces away, your smile is like the sun breaking through the clouds. Especially when that someone is under pressure from his bosses, customers, teachers, parents, or children. A smile can help him realize that all is not hopeless, that there is joy in the world. Some years ago a department store in New York City in recognition of the pressures um, it sales clerks were under during the Christmas rush, presenting the readers of this advertisement with the following homely philosophy. And it says like this the value of a smile at Christmas. It costs nothing but creates much. It enriches those who receive it without impoverishing those who give it. It happens in a flash and the memory of it sometimes lasts forever. None are so rich they can get along without it. And none so poor but are richer for its benefits. It creates happiness in the home, fosters goodwill in a business. And is the counter signs of friends? It is rest to the weary, daylight to the discouraged, sunshine to the sad, a nature's best added antidote to free trouble. Yet it cannot be bought, begged, borrowed, stolen, for it is something that is no early good to anybody till it's given away. And if the last minute rush of Christmas buying some of ourselves, people should be too tired to give you a smile, may we ask you to leave one of yours, for nobody needs a smile so much at those who have none left to give. Principle two, smile man, smile, sincere smilings.